hey, Jim, look around the room right now. Everyone is here because of you. The moment I heard those words, it changed everything for me. And yet it changed nothing because I truly am what I always felt I was. I'm the connector. That clarity is what brings me to you and what drives this show, the Remote Start Podcast. Here, I connect my lifelong passion for bringing people together with my love of business and branding in hopes that these talks might better connect your community with what your company is all about. So let's figure out your brand. Let's figure out the target audience you want to serve and how we can use these two things to create an incredibly strong community for your business. I'm your host, Jim Doyon. Let's get something started. Remote Start Nation, if you're leading an enterprise-level software company or you're striving to get there, you won't want to miss this episode. And for those of you listening who are just starting, regardless of your business sector, we're going to be unpacking a lot of value from our guests today that will help you on your journey. I'm Jim Doyon, your host, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Garrett Mergud, President and CEO of Directive. Garrett and his partner started Directive Consulting in 2014 and bootstrapped it to what it has become today. Directive is the customer generation agency for software companies, where they help marketers at software companies to exceed their lead, opportunity, deal, and revenue goals through customer generation. We're going to learn about how they do this on today's episode. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Garrett to the show. Garrett, how are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, excited to be here. Absolutely. So to get this started, tell us something that you wouldn't know if we just met you. I was homeschooled all through uh, pretty much to college. So that part, I think, a little interesting. It was helpful. I got like a kind of old school classical education. Um, it really helped, to be honest. I learned a lot about things like Dante's allegory and Latin and all the classics and all that stuff when I was really young. And I think, uh, you know, I took harder classes when I was, you know, pre-high school and junior high than I did, frankly, in high school or college. So I think that kind of taught me how to study and stretched my brain and kind of gave me new information on worldviews and how other you know, organizations operate. And then I grew up a missionary kid, like traveling the world. So I got to see so many different cultures but not like in the main city, like out in the kind of, you know, the boondocks. You kind of got to see how different civilizations and people and ethnic groups live and how they operate. It was really helpful. That's, that's an incredible journey. Did you, when you got to college, were you able to, like, did you kind of know, like you wanted to have that lifestyle, you know, when you, as you got older and graduated college or was it kind of like, did that come to you afterwards? No, I mean, I've always liked uh, traveling and all that stuff just because I grew up traveling so much um, and I'm comfortable doing it, you know. But um, no, for me, I just always kind of wanted to build a business, do business, you know. I liked, I think I could like, I just felt like I could see a business and make it better, if that makes sense. I didn't really have a teachable skill. I just felt in my gut that like I could see something and improve it. And that was kind of like what drove me, I guess, to a certain extent. Tell us a little bit, with that said, tell us a little bit about your background with, on your business journey. Yeah. So I, uh, I was trying to play pro soccer actually. So, um, I was kind of, that was my passion. I wanted to be a professional soccer player probably since I was little. Um, so I trained a lot, you know, every day I was training and practicing a couple, usually double days, you know, since I was in junior high, high school. Um, so 
Took it pretty serious. Um, I take most everything in my life fairly serious, to be honest. Um, and just really trying to apply myself. So I was just training a lot, got private coaches, you know, just worked really hard. Was on the top team in the country, got D1 scholarship offers, went to a Christian school. Um, graduated from there in three years in economics. And then my fourth year, I did my master's. I was captaining the team and trying to go see if I could play pro or anything like that. And then I hurt my knee and I was just, I'd seen for years, the guys who like just weren't quite good enough, but didn't give up on their dreams and keep coming back to practice and they keep working it, but eventually they're just getting older and you can just tell it's never going to happen, but then they're not getting started on their next thing. I don't know. I just didn't want to be that guy. I could just yeah. see it. And I was self-aware enough to know, like, I just didn't have enough of the God-given natural talents to get, like, I had the mentality, I had the athleticism, I had the work rate. I just didn't have the actual soccer skill to be a truly, like, elite, sustainable, professional player. I mean, it's just another level. And yeah. I'm not exactly bad. I'm just not $10 million a year. So, uh, once I kind of realized that, and I didn't have the right sustainability in my body, I was injured too often. Like my makeup, my body composition wasn't quite right. So I went on fiber and I started just, uh, doing $5 gigs. So I he was uh, like working a lot of jobs. Um, I was trying to get a job anywhere. I couldn't get a job in Northwestern mutual, which says a lot. Maybe I'm just the worst interviewer ever, but <laughs> I couldn't get a job there. I couldn't get a job at any of the consulting firms. I could, I tried to apply and I couldn't even get one. Like McKinsey, Boston, Bain, Deloitte, whatever. I couldn't get one. So I was just like, all right. And so I got a couple of family friends I knew had like small businesses. So I invited them to my graduation and I was like selling them at the graduation party on like hiring me, you know? And so I was this independent contractor work for some of them. I was doing like brochures. I had no actual skills yet. I had like brochures yeah. I do. I would set up like Yelp or Facebook. I was working at the Chamber of Commerce. I was working with facilities management at the school. I had my Fiverr gig. And I think there was something else. But yeah, so I was doing all that just to pay my bills. Cause I've been on my own since I was 18. And then I got my first uh, consulting customer. So I was on my little 1978 Peugeot 103 SP in East LA and I was driving around and Got a shawarma shop. So I told him, like, I liked his shawarmas. And I was like, hey, I could help you, like, set up Facebook page, Yelp, all that stuff. So I did that for him. I was still selling $5 gigs on Fiverr. I was like, bet my buddy I can make a grand a month on there. And then got that account, did it for 30 days. I came back on the 30th day to get my check. He said, come back tomorrow. I came back the next day. The whole place was boarded up. And that was my oh, first wow. consulting customer. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So that's how I started. And then I just kind of, then I got a hookah shop. He asked me to build a website. I built one for my uncle like two years before on like Genesis framework and WordPress. I would just Google in the forums, you know, find the code, copy it. I was using yeah. the theme builders. So I built him a website and then he asked me if I could rank it. I was like, never done it before, but I could probably figure it out. So I just went online. I tried to read everything I could on SEO. So I like read all the blogs, Moz had written, watched all the videos I could find on YouTube. I'm like a nut when it comes to consuming content. So I just went through everything. I came up with a little mantra called learn, engage, create. So the concept was if I could learn something new every day and engage with it proactively by applying it, then I could create more value for myself or for my customers. And so I just did that. 
every day, just grind it. You know, I've been working by 10, 12 hours a day since I was 21, 22, and then just keep going. And then eventually, you know, you just get better than everybody. Not because you're like, you're more talented or anything. You just work longer for more years without getting distracted or pivoting. I mean, I mean, you're pivoting within like your industry, but you're not pivoting. Like a lot of guys who run agencies, you know, they're like, oh, I should start a product or oh, I should build a brand or I should, yeah. you know, and I've done that too. But I think I always stay disciplined enough to know that it was a distraction. We all want to chase those little objects, but if you stay disciplined enough in your field, you can be pretty successful at anything. So who won the bet? The Fiverr, the Fiverr bet? Oh, I, I definitely won the bet. Yeah, that was good. So yeah, but I got the hookah shop filled up with hookah. They were all, everybody was smoking it. And I was like, crap, it's pretty powerful. Like I ranked him number one in the area. So I went to my best friend who was my roommate and he was going to go to law school. And I was like, hey, introduce me to your dad. I could probably, he is a plumber and he had like one truck. And I was like, you know, I could probably help him. So next thing you know, he had like three trucks because I ranked him number one in his area. And I was like, damn, I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty good at this. This is pretty cool. And you know, you got like moment of power as a consultant when you're like, I can like help a business and like change it. This is like, it feels very cool. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't get to do any of that anymore. But that feeling was great, you know, when you're first getting started. And then I got him to join me. I was like, I'll pay you like three bucks an hour. You'll have equity. And once you come not to law school, join me. And then him and I started, I think, formally that partnership together in like 2014. I started in 2013. And then, yeah, it kind of grew from there. So was it, you guys are just doing stuff for people and then all of a sudden, you came up with the name of the brand and, and started to like, no, I was always directive and I was doing all the same stuff. I had two customers and he joined me and then I, he became a partner here. So at that point, what was your goal? And you know, how has that changed today? It hasn't changed one bit. I want to build the largest marketing agency in the world. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you feel like your drive towards becoming a professional soccer player? Do you, did you instill a lot of those skills in your business and it, it, has that helped you to be where you are? Yeah, I think everything helps. I think it's probably mostly my parents in the sense that my parents, like, are exceptionally hardworking. Like, we don't come from money or anything. Like, they didn't, I didn't grow up with money. Like, they went into missions right before the Great Recession. We were 100% on donations. So, I mean, we didn't have anything, to be honest with you. Um, but they worked really hard. Like, just, yeah. they still work more hours than I do. Um, so, I think I just saw that, and it was just in my blood. And then my grandpa, I mean, he came to this country from Germany. His whole family got bombed. He was an orphan. My grandma was an orphan. They came here with, you know, 10 cents in their pocket. And then they built, you know, our family up from there. So just seeing that, I think, work rate and that work ethic was big for me. I don't know if, you know, and I'll, you know, they know this. They're not as maybe like, they don't know how to apply that work rate in the same way I do. Because I don't think they had all the same education and opportunities they gave me. So I just try to take the God-given gifts I have, plus the, you know, the nurture nature debate. So getting to see the nurture of how hard they worked, I think nature-wise, I got given some gifts. And then if you put the two together and you work real hard, you know, you can do a lot, to be honest. I love that. Tell us more. I know I talked a little bit about in the intro about Directive and you've hit on search a couple of times. You know, tell us more about what Directive does, who your, who your clients are and where your locations are. Yeah, yeah. So we're global now. Um, we're like formal, you know, international entities in, you know, Europe, Asia Pacific, North America, Latin America. Um, we got over 150 people. We're fully bootstrapped. 
Uh, you know, we did over 20 million plus last year. Um, very profitable. Uh, it's profitable. I want to be, I ran us on zero profit first 10 years. Um, we serve tech companies. So we've got, you know, Snap as a customer, Amazon's customer, Uber as a customer. So biggest tech companies in the world, as well as like, um, all the IPOs, a lot of the ones you see, we're doing all their marketing. Um, so Sumo Logic is a DevOps company. We did all their stuff for a couple of years before they went public. Sentinel One, cybersecurity company, you see them on like F1 and stuff. Did yeah. all their stuff for like, I think four or five years before they went public. All state I got when I was like 22, 23, I still have them as agency of record. Nice. So, you know, a lot of the big brands and then, but mostly just like well-funded tech startups, you know, the gongs of the world, those people, they all trust us to do all their marketing. There's a million marketing companies out there. What sets you apart? I work really hard. Like our company, like if the CEO works really hard, everybody, the organization works really hard. Like we, we just really give like a damn. And I don't think that's like, it's a hard thing to explain or what makes it different, but the culture, it's just the culture. The culture here is like, you asked earlier about sports. I would say that's what's different about directive. I run it like we're the number one sports team in the country. And if you want to be in that type of environment, you have to constantly be getting better. You have to be constantly being able to pay your employees more. You have to be constantly be able to offer better benefits. You have to be able to create more opportunities from them. But I mean, I can probably say if you leave this organization, you will be the hardest worker at whatever organization you go to. And you will rise exceptionally quickly in your career after going to directive. We're like the Navy SEALs of market. And if you want to be that, we're great. If you don't want to be that, I mean, you hate my guts. And I don't work weekends or nights. It's that eight to five. But when you're here, I mean, it's go time, baby. Like we're working, we're, we're pushing boundaries. We're trying to improve. We're, you know, very disciplined about self-improvement. We have what I call a commitment-based culture. So if you want to be successful and work at our organization, you have to number one, be exceptionally committed to your own potential. Um, I think that's the most important thing is you have to be committed to oneself. And then secondarily, you have to be committed to the team you serve or the team you serve on. And then lastly, you have to be, you know, really committed to the organization as a whole and its collective vision. And as long as you have those three things, I mean, you got a job for life with me. Have you, you know, in the, since starting and to where you're at now, have you seen a lot of turnover of people that come in and, and they don't fit that mold and it's an easy goodbye, or is it something that you do so much upfront to make sure you're bringing in the right person that there isn't that turnover? No, we still struggle with turnover. I think we're getting better. We, you know, every day we manage it exceptionally well. Uh, we care really deeply about the people. Um, we don't fire people willy nilly. Um, we try to never really fire people. I don't like firing people, to be honest. I really don't like it at all. Um, it's not really so much about that. I usually, what I love about running an organization is I like to be able to see an individual for who they are. And, and I, I can see usually who someone is. I know I don't think I get seen very often as who I am, but I can usually see who someone is. And my goal is to, when they look in the mirror, they see the person I see and I want to pull them up to that image of themselves where they are powerful and capable and talented and passionate about their life and their work. And to me, I, you know, I, I live to work, but it's not just this. I apply the same energy to my wife, to my kids, to my hobbies. It's just, if you're going to do something, why not try to be the best 
you can possibly be at something and just, you know, really, really apply yourself. And are you, you had mentioned that you don't get to do some of the stuff you got to do like hands-on in the beginning. And is that because you're, you're working so hard to build the culture that you've, that you've created? Well, I have a massive executive team that all has a specific role and responsibility and it's not my role or responsibility to do their role and responsibility. So you got to learn to be a, you got to not like, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not an owner. I'm not an operator. I'm a CEO. I want to be the best CEO I can possibly be. I love that. I know now your, your focus is on SaaS companies and tech. You talked about, you know, the first, the first client being a shawarma client and then, you know, a hookah client, you know, how did you know that your customer persona was, you know, these SaaS companies and that's who you wanted to work with? I didn't, I'm not like some genius or anything. I mean, I was only charging 200 bucks a month. I was, I remember distinctly, I was in an Uber and I was like talking to this guy. They always want to talk. I'm not a huge like talker, but they always want to talk, you know, and so we're talking and they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I do SEO and stuff. Cause I only did SEO when we started. That was kind of my technical thing. I taught myself was just SEO. And uh, he's like, yeah, I do SEO too. And I'm like, okay, cool. We start talking. And he, I can tell he doesn't really know much to be honest. And I'm like, okay. But then I go like, well, if I'm curious, like how much do you charge? Like, what's your minimums? And he goes like two grand. I was charged like 400, 200 bucks. I called my partner immediately. I was like, bro, we got to raise her rate. <laughs> what are we doing over here? <laughs> this guy's doing nothing. And he's got all these customers. He's terrible. Like, what do we, like, he's driving Uber. <laughs> what the heck? So, you know, like, I mostly learned like that. Like, I was reading a book. I don't even remember the name of the book. It was like, it was like a super, like, branding, like, for idiots type books. You know, I was on a plane. And it was like, you know, when you, when you want to grow your marketing business or your, whatever you're doing or your business in general, it's like, figure out who pays you the most who you get the best results for, who you like working with. And I was like, software companies. Yeah, like, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And that was it. So that's like, I didn't, I've never worked at a software company. I was just like, I, they pay me the best. I get them good results. Like, well, let's just do that. And then I think within two years, I was the biggest software technology marketing agency in the world. So it took that to understanding. And then did you just start going after and like, I mean, was it picking up the phone and dialing? Was it... You know, digital marketing no, like, no, helped yeah. you to get there. I came up with a completely different way of advertising than anyone else, I think, in the world. And it uh, works. And so now, you know, I, I bring that methodology to our customers and then I coach um, CEOs and business owners um, just how to grow their business, you know. And, and um, you know, I'm pretty good at, like, I'm not a big lifestyle business guy. I'm not great for those people. But if you want to, like, really build something large, I'm pretty helpful. And so I help with those people. That's how I, to answer your earlier question, Jim, that's how I stay like, you know, still in the coaching and consulting side is I, I coach and, you know, train my exec team. And then I like to work with, you know, my uh, fellow CEOs and stuff. And then if they're really talented or something, maybe, you know, I'll, and they want to sell, maybe I could acquire them or something, you know. Um, but when it comes to my growth and like what drives it, it's the advertising, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I taught myself SEO. I ranked as number one globally for SEO agency. Um, I was in top three for PPC agency. I've always grown. And what I am actually genuinely, I think, pretty good at is marketing. So I do a lot of, like, I take our marketing very seriously and I treat it as research and development. So mm-hmm. before I ever take a penny from anybody, I make sure it works for me. I'm really passionate about that. I don't like to mess with people's money or like um, their reputation, right? When someone hires me, 
they put their reputation on the line at their organization internally to say, I'm recommending we work with this vendor. I take that exceptionally serious. And so I want to make sure everyone who hires us looks like a genius for doing so. Um, and at our size and scale, I need an approach that works regardless of the consultant. Because I have very talented people, but not every person is going to be perfect 100% of the time. So you need to have some type of methodology or viewpoint that's structurally different than the market. Not better than the market, but different than the market. Because people don't pay more for better. They only pay more for different, I've found. It's very hard to convince someone you're better. It's very easy to convince someone you're different. And so, and then you're, you know, you're selling apples and other people are selling oranges. So you have more price elasticity. And so what I do is I really focus on essentially my own marketing. So what I came up with with the way of advertising. So there was this thing like ABM that was really big, like five, six years ago, and it's still popular today. It's account-based marketing. You might say like, you know, these are my top 100 accounts or top 500 accounts and I want to go get them. Well, what I found with that is like uh, the number one thing of why people choose something, it's all timing dependent. And there's a lot of tools that try to show you intent and timing, but they're all crap, to be completely honest. They're not very good. And so what I had to figure out was then how do I, like, what if I could advertise to a total addressable market, not just like a couple hundred accounts? So what I figured out how to do was like take every tech company in the world and then manually verify them that they were really what I wanted. So I got a list at first of, let's say 10,000 tech companies in the U.S. that fit my buying criteria, right? That X amount of headcount, maybe they're using Y amount of technology, maybe they had Z amount in spend. So I built my own data set and then I enriched the data set with SPIFU, AETREFs, SEMrush data, and all this data so that I could essentially estimate their investment into search. And if I pay a percent of spend, I could say if they're spending X on search, then they could spend Y on their retainer, hit my minimums, and now they're a qualified account. So I essentially qualified 10,000 accounts at scale. Then I just upload them into LinkedIn and I offer them a gift card to take a meeting with me. Mm. That's it. Um, first 18 months of doing it, I took 68% market share. So I held sales calls with 6,800 of those accounts in the first 18 months. And yeah, I mean, I haven't seen this year. I got to get the data, but two years ago, I mean, I gave away over $350,000 in gift cards but I was able to grow the company tens of millions of dollars. So it works. That's incredible. Yeah. So for someone who's just starting, for someone who, you know, is on Fiverr right now, for someone who's walking around trying to find their, their first client, like yeah. what's some advice that you would give them to, you know, put into place right now in their business? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I've realized that holds everyone back that I never had to deal with, not because of like some special, Thing or anything, it just actually doesn't really occur to me, but it's like uh, that, that self-doubt, that fear. Um, I, I have, I've always been of the belief that nothing can stop me other than myself. And so I don't create um, like uh, external obstacles to overcome. I don't have external obstacles. I have internal obstacles. But I got this weird thing where like, I didn't realize that I don't really like um, the thought of failure or the fear of failure or the fear of like, I'm not good enough, but never actually enters my brain. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have to overcome that at all, which I actually realized it was like a gift. It's not like a, something I've ever developed or anything. So I would say like what stops us as humans is just usually like self-doubt, you know, so like it, it's not like external forces. 
um, there's usually a solution for everything if you just work hard enough, yeah. to be honest. And there really is no ceiling if you don't run out of drive. So like most people, they get where they want, you know, and then they get complacent because they've, they've arrived at where they wanted to be. And then they're usually very happy. Like I wouldn't say I'm in that, like the happiest person either. So I wouldn't say like that it's all, you know, roses and rainbows when you have this like makeup. For me, I'm genuinely usually a fairly unsatisfied, unhappy person uh, because of just how driven I am. You know, I want more, but that's just how I'm wired. I'm not trying to be that way, if that makes sense. That's just who I am. So I would say whoever you are, just be yourself. You know what I mean? And if you want to be more than you are and you're struggling, just remember the only thing that can stop you is yourself. And then, you know, try to just overcome those self-doubts. You need a therapist, get a therapist, get a business coach. Get someone who can encourage you so you don't feel alone because, you know, I do get the feeling of aloneness sometimes when I'm trying to grow because when you grow really fast, your execs get super busy and they don't have any time to innovate. All they have time is to operate. And so it doesn't matter how big you get and how much you pay an executive. If you want to keep growing, a lot of times you have to be the one still driving the growth. There is no fairy tale land. And I get frustrated. Because I still wish there's a fairy tale land, right? When I get that top exec, you know, I get that really, because I have some really talented executives that are, yeah. make a lot of money that come from very top shops. But when you're growing 50% year over year, if you're going from 20 to 35 million in a year, people just drown. And so you, it doesn't matter how big you get. If you want to grow fast, you got to still do a lot individually. And, and there's just no fairy tale in business. There is no, there's no magic hire. There's no magic, no, there's no fairy tales. And so once you get honest about that and you just realize it's hard work, you, you can become more successful in my opinion. That's great advice. I want to go back to how you grew so much with the, the gift card and, and your approach where you like really honed in on the client that you wanted. And then second thing, you knew what your price, your price point was, right? Before you offer them the gift card. Yeah. So for someone that's, that's looking to really scale their brand, looking to grow, I love your approach. How would they get started? Like go in and like really understand their, their customer yeah. first. Yep. So it's just like financial modeling. So my background is economics. So I got a little yeah. lucky in that. Like when I started the business, I wanted to be the best at every aspect of the business. So I did all of our finance, like as CFO till we got to 17 million, for example. Wow. I did all the bookkeeping the first three years. I reconciled every single solitary expense to the chart of account and close the books. I built up the recruiting function. I built out the sales function. I built out the marketing function. I built out the people ops function. I built out accounting, finance, everything. I wanted to be, all the, all the services we offer, I could genuinely do for you as a customer. I wanted to be the best at all of it. Um, so that helped a lot because you get it. You have a lot of confidence and when you hire an executive, you're working with others, you know how long things take, what good looks like, what your standards are, and you can really disseminate that information. But when it comes to like growth, obviously I think you need a good, you have to just be a certain level of ability to grow. Uh, you have to be able to consume a lot of information and you have to be able to make a lot of decisions. And those decisions, the majority of the time have to be good ones, to be honest, like that's kind of the recipe. You have to be able to make a lot of decisions quickly and more often than not, you need to be right. Um, but when it comes to the like capital, I think the, the way a bit organization grows is through positioning and capital allocation. 
Okay. So positioning wise, like you want to make sure you're in a, in an industry that has economic potential. So like I got the Allstate account when I was young and we were you know already one of the top local SEO firms in the world when I was like 23, 25 years old. We weren't, we were already like pretty good at the local SEO game. But what's happening is like I would get Allstate and then State Farm would like submit me for an RFP, but I had to not compete. So I was really, really struggling. I couldn't have Allstate and State Farm and I'm super driven. And I was like, what the heck, man? Like I, I just ranked them number one for car insurance, auto insurance, life insurance. And I think they still rank today. If you want to check it out, it's pretty cool. Like, we were, they're still custom. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I've created like a billion dollars of value for this organization, but I can't go yeah. out and then they won't raise my rates. Good luck trying to like grow your retainer with Allstate. It's not exactly the world's, they're an insurance yeah. company. Like that's why they're Allstate. So they're very risk averse. It's very hard. So the local game got tough. And then what happened was like, let's say you get, you always want to get multi-location businesses when you're in local, because that usually means larger accounts. Problem is, is they want a discount for every net new location, even though the work isn't discounted every net new location. So you're diminishing marginal returns on your largest accounts. So I got out of that space. So what I found for me was technology is great because everybody in that space is spending other people's money. Mm. Nobody spends money better than when it's somebody else's. Yeah. And when you're a third-party vendor, you need people that are willing to invest. Well, people are always willing to invest when it's someone else's money. And the sole purpose of that person's money is to create top-line revenue growth. Well, that's what I'm great at, is creating top-line revenue growth. So SaaS and Directive are a perfect fit for each other because they want to accomplish and grow and be the biggest in their industry. And I want to accomplish and grow and be the biggest in my industry. So how I'm doing that for my organization fits perfectly for how they should do it for theirs. So that was kind of how I got the positioning, right? Yeah. And then you want the structure to be right. So many businesses are operating on one-time revenue. Well, to grow a business very large, let's say I'm a project-based business and I get 10 projects. Well, for me to grow my revenue, I have to get 11 projects the next week or magically get bigger ones. But it's not so easy going out market. It's actually exceptionally hard. And then the next month, I got to get 12 while delivering still on the 10 and the 11. Eventually, it just becomes unsustainable and project-based business is flatline. So I always want to be recurring. So I said no a lot when we were young. My partner would come to me, hey, bro, like this company, they need us to do websites. We could totally do it for them. And I'd said yes a couple of times. Eventually, I'm like, dude, we don't do websites no more. Hey, bro, like they need their HubSpot set up. I'm like, we don't do HubSpot. Anything that was one time we didn't do for the first seven, eight years. Wow. And so we said no to a lot. We got the positioning right. And then on the financial modeling, if you go on my YouTube channel I, or check out any of the content I do, I give away everything. So I have all my LTV CAC models with full video walkthroughs online. You could download them and use them. And the key is really when you do business, in my opinion, the most important KPI is gross margin. Everybody focuses on EBITDA, but EBITDA, EBITDA's, um, like the dumbest thing to focus on when you're small, yet everybody does because everybody who's smart, air quotes, tells them to. Uh, yeah. It's not actually how any big businesses have ever been built is a focus on EBITDA because if you have EBITDA, you, you're not reinvesting your operating, your OPEX back into your business. So to have EBITDA, to me, what you're essentially saying is you ran out of areas to create growth. So now you're focused on being a cash cow, which is fine. 
but you can only have as much EBITDA as your top line revenue allows. In other words, if you're a $3 million business focused on EBITDA, you're never going to have EBITDA. Yeah. The most you could ever have is 30 to 40% of your top line revenue, which to me isn't very much. Mm. So what I did and for the first nine years of running the business was I paid our partner distributions monthly as a percent of revenue. So, and then we take very low salaries. So if I want to make money, the company has to make money. Yeah. So I make like a 30th of our revenue. When I go to acquire agencies that are doing five to $10 million, most of these dudes are making a six of their revenue to a 10th of their revenue. They're, they're essentially draining their business for their own financial gain, but they aren't building an asset. Right. And so what I always focus people on is gross margin. Gross margin is what creates your culture. Gross margin is what creates your results. Gross margin is what allows you to reinvest into top line revenue growth. So if you have a gross margin of less than 50%, you can't have any advertising budget or marketing budget. There's not going to be enough left over. There's just not. So unless you're exceptionally high volume business, but the industry I'm in is not a high volume industry. Right. So you need more gross margin. And so, but if you have too much gross margin, you struggle with renewals, retention, and churn because essentially you're not investing enough in your cost of goods sold. So it's a fine line between being having too much gross margin and poor retention or having bad growth margin and not enough money left over to reinvest in top line revenue growth. So you have to find that line. And once you find that sweet spot, you can essentially have your cake and eat it too. In the sense that you have money left over to grow the business and you have enough retention that the business can organically grow on its own. And that's when you get to that multiplicative state and you start really knocking out your goals. That's huge. That's so much value. Did you, you said you stopped everything. You said no to so much in the beginning and you just focused on what you wanted to do. Are you now taking on different areas or are you still just focused on the one, the one segment? Yeah, we have, um, we have more service lines, but we still focus on just our, we try to focus on singular persona. Like I exist to serve a director of marketing at a tech company. So if I don't have a service that that human can buy, that that human owns and operates, that is vital to their promotion, their retention, their own career goals, I won't offer it. Mm. That's really just how I put it through that filter. Everybody has all these personas. It's so silly. Most right. of us just have one person we work with 99.9% .9 of the time. Just focus on that person. Like, it's so funny, like plumbers, you know, like I would argue most of the time they're actually working with the wife, not the husband, yet they try to advertise in a way that would attract the husband. But the wife is usually the one running point. So people like, everybody wants the CFO and yeah, the CFO signs, but the CFO doesn't buy. Like I have a saying that the champion is more important than the decision maker. So I've always obsessed over being the best option for the champion. That's, that's huge. What are the biggest brands out there doing that others are not? Their product just is better. They're not doing anything. They're just, they actually have something people want. So like the, we all forget that. We all think there's some magic bullet. The, the biggest magic bullet is just don't suck. And most of us suck, like myself included. Like I still suck way too often. And that's why I'm not bigger. If I got results from my customers 100% of the time, and I measured, I get results from my customers 75% of the time. If I got it 100% of the time, I'd be at 50 million on I just don't. And that's what I'm working on. It's exceptionally hard. Um, most agencies, you know, they get past 10 million and they lose their soul. There's like an inverse correlation between revenue and quality of work. Uh, and I always want to be able to look at our work and be proud of it. And, and like, you know, 
I think a lot of these agencies, like if they were being honest, like they wouldn't refer a family member to their own shop because they don't trust that they'd have a good experience. And I always want to be able to refer a family member to my business. Um, and I'm not always there, to be honest, but I'm working my butt off to try to be. I love that. I I played soccer at a, I played junior college ball, but like growing up and playing a sport and, and learning and always pushing myself and the team and you know, so much of what you've talked about today, I keep, I just keep going back to like that athlete, that mindset, like even like you're good, you're 75%, like you're incredible. You're way above what most marketing agencies probably are. And the fact that you're not happy and you're constantly pushing yourself, like that's, that's huge. Yeah. We got to be at a hundred, man. It's not easy though. Like we do track it. So it's called a North Star metric. So essentially the reason it's so hard is like, we don't get hired to do things people have already done before. I'm getting hired as like the fifth agency. Everybody else failed. They're finally willing to, they're like, we got to figure this out. And directive's not cheap, but they say they're the best. I'll just give them a shot. Then I got to try to figure out how to do something nobody else may able to pull off. And I'm able to about 75% of the time, but not a hundred, you know. And going back to that, you know, being the fifth on their list, like, I mean, are you, you sent out the gift card in LinkedIn, the opportunity to, to meet with you. Is it a lot of times they have a call with you and they're like already with somebody else and you just keep following up until they're ready or how does that work? Well, yeah, that's like a big part. I think one of the keys is like, uh, you have to get value out of every moment. So like one of the things I try to teach the sales org and, you know, we, we, we aren't great at right now. We got to get better at, we were better at like three years ago when I was more hands-on with it. Is like, when's your, when's your next contract up? So mm -hmm. remember I talked about timing. So in your Salesforce database, if you did 6,800 calls, let's say with tech companies, like we'll probably do over 10,000 calls with tech companies this year. If on every one of those calls, you could map their contract opt-out date, you could get timing, right? For your entire total addressable market. So now you can essentially have your Salesforce instance set up in such a way that you have alerts and reminders that, hey, yo, like the outreach contract's coming up in two months. Let's, let's engage them in a playbook, right? Let's, let's send them a bottle of champagne to, you know, toast to our future success. Let's fly out in person. Let's like have a handmade proposal package that we ship. Like I have the saying that no one does more free work in the world than directive. Like there's all this win business without pitching crap. I've never read the book. The title just turned me off because I pitch like hell. Like I want to win every business I ever get. And I want to make sure I'm like, when I die or when I'm like, done with business or whatever. I don't ever want to think I could have tried harder or I could have done more to get that account I wanted. So every customer I want to like treat, like it's the last customer in the world and try to win them. And so I think that competitive nature is big for our success when it comes to sales. Cause we, you know, we work really, really hard to win business. That's uh, yeah, that's huge. How, uh, there's a lot of current, like there's always some different event happening and things out of our control. How, from a marketing strategy perspective, how are you, you know, shaping what you're doing based on current events? I'm not. I don't think humans care about anything other than themselves, to be honest. So I just focus on their self-centered nature of uh, all of us. And I just try to speak to the things Jim wants and Jim needs. I don't get distracted. I didn't do COVID-19 campaigns. I don't, I don't do recession campaigns. I, I try to be a light in the world of darkness when it comes to my messaging in the sense that like, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going around, but you still got to hit your numbers. Yeah. I just keep it real. Like, yeah, the world's burning, but you want to, I mean, you don't want to get let go. 
you don't want to, you want to get promoted. You want what's next in your career. You know, let, let's be a partner with you. And like, we try to, you know, I, I haven't know, figured out yet, but it, for me, it's not like a lifetime value of an account. It's lifetime value of a point of contact. So like, what I'm really proud of is like a lot of people go to three different, like, I can't tell you how many points of contact leave one company in our portfolio, go to another company in our portfolio, and they're still with directors. Like we've gotten to that size where I'm more focused on the relationships I have with these marketing leaders. And in 10 years, they're going to be CMOs and I will be positioned to be the largest in the industry. I just got to be patient. Put in your work and grow with them and take care yeah, of them. I mean, you got to stay go. loyal to them. Yeah. Honor them. And if they get in a bad situation at their organization, I mean, I always try to tell our team, we should be the first person to fall on the sword for them. Like, let them save face. We'll eat it for you. And, you know, if we lose that battle, hopefully, you know, we built some trust and we won the war, you know. We've seen that. I do, my agency does a lot of merchandise for, for different accounts all over the place. And uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more on what you said about the account and, or the, the contact at the account and, you know, taking that on for them and making sure that they look the best regardless. And, yeah. you know, it's, there's a lot of times like the communications last minute, like I need something tomorrow. Well, we're going to do whatever we can to get it. And if not, we're going to say, hey, we should have had a different situation set up to get that for you or offered a different product or whatever it is. Because in the end, you're right, man, they're going to go on to somewhere else. They're going to grow. And it's, yeah. it's our responsibility to, to continue to build that. A hundred percent, man. The worst part of a vendor is the ones that make you feel like it's your fault. Those people suck. Those people suck. It's the worst. Like, don't ever be a professional service provider who blames your customers. I, I have the, some of those people work for me sometimes and we have to try to change that. I call it like a victim mentality. It yeah. makes you, it makes you weak and powerless and it doesn't help you retain or grow customers. The, the key to that is you got to stay powerful and own everything. There's nothing that you couldn't have controlled as a consultant. That's yeah. So true. Uh, you know, before, before we go, uh, end this conversation, where can the remote start find you? Yeah. I'm on Twitter. I like edgy Mergu. Uh, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. I'm not great at social. Like, like we post a lot. I got like a team that helps me, but I'm trying to get better at it. But I try to, I love to help people and share things. So if you want to, you know, or you can check out my website, garamerica.com. I coach um, founders. I love doing it. I look to acquire agencies under 10 million. Then I run directives. So, yeah. Awesome. I, I'm a big believer in community and it's something I stand behind and I, you know, something I noticed that you do at directive is you've created a Slack channel. That's yeah. a community for tech marketers. Yep. And I know that's like your biggest client and you created this where your team, they ask questions, something, they can't figure something out. They Slack you and your team figures it out. Like that's yep. incredible. Like to me, that is. Oh yeah. I answer the questions on there all the time. It's yeah. called society. Yeah. Yeah. It's called society. You can DM me any question you want for free. I'll answer it. So that's incredible. Have you seen that help with, you know, nurturing a client and, and getting them to understand, like you guys really know what you're talking about. Yeah. And hiring like a lot of these directors of marketing and stuff, they'll like, they'll apply for jobs with us because we help them so much in the community. And then, yeah, a lot of people like, uh, I think I got the zoom info account in there. So like, just like big accounts, that everybody wants, you know, we've been able to win just because the directors will go on there and ask my team questions that they didn't like the answer they got from their agency. And then we'll give them, I think the right answer. We'll do all the work for free. Like we'll tell you exactly how to do everything for free. And then people eventually they're like, all right, we'll hire you. So it's just about helping people. I really like to get back and help, to be honest. I'm passionate about that. It's just hard, you know, people like 
people don't really ask me a lot of stuff, but whenever they do, I try to get back to them, you know, as much value as I can. I love that. Most of our nation you heard where Garrett, you know, dropped his, his Twitter, his other information where to find them, uh, you know, definitely reach out, reach out and learn as much as I did today. Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, Garrett, one more thing before we let you go today. I want to know if there's one thing, the biggest takeaway that you can give the remote start nation that we either hit on and you want to emphasize it, or maybe we didn't even get to it, but you want to make sure as starting a business or scaling a brand, like what, what's the one biggest takeaway that you can give? Keep your soul. Just keep your soul. I mean, the money is enticing and just keep your soul. What I mean that is like, don't, don't sacrifice your values. Don't sacrifice your quality of work. Don't sacrifice anything. Hold on to everything for dear life because the bigger you get, the harder it is. And just try to keep your soul. And if you keep your soul long enough, I always say that eventually when someone competes with me, they make a values mistake or a money mistake. And as long as I keep my values straight and I don't run out of cash, I can usually win over an extended period of time. Uh, and so, you know, just keep your soul and you'll do all right. That's great. Garrett, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it, man. Cool. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. Most our nation, I hope you learned as much as I did today and can put some of what Garrett shared with us to work for you. Thank you all for joining us. And remember, leave a comment, subscribe, but most importantly, share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you heard. Until next time, go start something, start today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. Well, we've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for allowing me to share my passion of bringing people together through business and branding in hopes to connect you with your community. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Woodward Movement, the leader in brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. Check out our remotestartpodcast.com for more episodes and our social channels to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you build a strong community for your business. I'm Jim Doyon. Thank you for connecting.